You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Welcome back to all of our participants in our Byzantine lectionary reflection for this coming Sunday, the 15th Sunday after Holy Cross. We're going to focus our attention on the gospel text alone. It's a beautiful text. It's rich, and there's plenty to do there. Uh, so let's take a look. It's The text is Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. Um, so we're going to get out our Bibles. Father Sebastian, do you have a Bible or are you using your cell phone over there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so no cell phones. We're going to look at our Bibles and, uh, and, and have, do an old-timey Bible study here. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. At that time, as Jesus was passing through Jericho, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a leading publican, and he was rich. And he was trying to see Jesus to find out who he was, but could not on account of the crowd, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, for he, uh, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay in your house today. And he made haste and came down and welcomed him joyfully. And upon seeing it, all began to murmur, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, I give one half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Father, um, as we look at this, this text now given us, to us from Luke chapter 19, we are kind of at, a, at an important liturgical moment in the progression. We've celebrated the Feast of Nativity. We've celebrated Theophany. And then now, suddenly, we get a text which points us in a new direction now, or, or continues on, but in a very fast manner, into a whole new time period. I wonder if you can give us, speak to us about the context of this passage now, especially in light of the, of the liturgy. So, in our lectionary cycle, we're starting to switch gears now, because... Uh, as shocking as that might be, we're starting to head towards another feast, of course, and that is Pascha. So we're going to begin to prepare for the great fast and, of course, the uh, reading of the story of Zacchaeus and eventually the prodigal son, all these uh, passages from Luke that is preparing us for this conversion process we're going to be entering into as we, we begin to uh, prepare ourselves through the great fast for the coming uh, resurrection of the Lord. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, this is a little funny because, yeah, we were, we were earlier, we were talking about the baptism and things like that. We were earlier in the gospel to begin ministry, and also we're jumping to the end. 
uh, and this has to do with the lecture cycle. In, in the context here in Luke, we're toward the end of his, his ministry. He's heading toward Jerusalem, uh, and he's passing through Jericho. And in Luke's gospel, we hear not only about a healing of a blind man. Here in Luke's gospel, we hear about this healing of a, another blind man in a certain sense, the healing of Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus uh, who is uh, this, this uh, publican. And when we, this story is very, uh, very typical of Luke. The way he tells the stories of Jesus' ministry, the way we hear Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke, typically have three main characters to them. There's a, a king, or there's a master, or something like that. And then there's two sub-characters. One of them, the beginning, seems to be the, the wicked one, and the other one seems to be the righteous one. And then by the end, they kind of switch. And so this is one of those kind of stories here. We have Jesus as the main character, and we have a publican, which would make everyone cringe when we hear that, and the chief among them, and he was rich, and a crowd who's following Jesus. You know, let's, let's um, mine that a little bit here, because uh, when we hear the word publican, I'm not sure that, that many of us would grasp, myself included, exactly who this guy is and why it is that he's rich. And ultimately, because ultimately these people, obviously, they're not too happy with this guy. Okay, they're like, he's a sinner. He's a, this is a bad guy. Um, so maybe, maybe by knowing what a publican is and why he's rich, we can kind of help us contextualize this story a little bit. The, um, so publican is an, is an old English word. Most English translations today use the word tax collector because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Publican here, uh, even in old English could be a guy who has a pub, uh, has a bar, you know? So, so, but in, in, uh, in the translations, most modern translations translate the, the, uh, the Greek word here, which means kind of uh, toll collector, toll booth man, hmm. as tax collector. It's the closest thing in modern English uh, to to what he was doing. They would typically have a toll booth uh, right there outside, the, you know, at the entrance to a city. And when people came in to sell their goods or were leaving, he would make sure that they paid their tax for what they did in the marketplace and things. Like Matthew, for example, in Capernaum, when Jesus calls him from his tax booth, his so tax collector slash toll booth, you know, guy at the, on the freeway uh, or something like that. So, the, but the, the tax collector often in a town was uh, despised by the locals because the tax collector was someone who was picked out by the, by the Romans to collect the taxes for them. So first, right off the bat, no one's going to like the guy. He's collecting taxes for a foreign power. He is working contrary to the, to the Torah, Deuteronomy 17, you shall not have a foreigner over you. He's also touching, un, he's touching money constantly, which a lot of us would in Roman money with images of Caesar on it, so he's perpetually unclean. He's dealing with Gentiles, not only Jews. He's a, he's a sellout for the Romans, a really, really bad image. But it gets worse because as far as historians can discern, the, the tax collectors in the time did not get a salary. Their money, they lived, their living was based upon the collection over and above of what was required. So if the Roman Empire required that tax collector, you know, say 10 shekels for that village or something for the year, for that couple, a period of time, whatever he could collect above that was his pay. 
And so a tax collector was not only this horrible creature from the Jewish standpoint, but he was also just by his nature, he was dishonest. He was collecting more than the Roman Empire actually required him to collect. And that was what he lived off of. And then Luke tells us he was the chief among the tax collectors. That means he's got tax collectors underneath him. And he was very rich, right? So for, for a person to hear this the first century, he's a tax collector. He's the chief among the tax collectors. He's in charge of other tax collectors. And he's very rich, which means everything he's got, all of this excessive wealth, not just a little bit he might have needed to feed his family. He's excessively rich. That means he's stolen a lot from the people. Mm. You know, it, he becomes then for us, as you were saying, Luke loves to do this to switch the characters. Because while he's got, while he's rich, while he's got a lot of money, apparently, apparently, at least on the surface level, through dishonesty, nevertheless, the fathers of the church read this account and they see his willingness to climb the sycamore as emblematic of another aspect of his wealth or lack thereof, that he willingly becomes, say, poor in spirit. He willingly humbles himself, which is why the, the whole small in stature thing is so important to this text. While, he, while he's wealthy from a worldly standpoint, nevertheless, he's willing to climb this sycamore tree just to be able to get a glimpse of Christ. And this movement of Zacchaeus, this uh, willingness to climb the tree becomes for him the beginning of his salvation. Of course, Jesus is then going to call him down, which is the fathers of the church are also going to interpret in terms of humility of an acceptance of the Lord. But well, let's try to maybe put a little bit of green leaves on this whole story and flesh it out a little bit and talk about the sycamore tree. Because, uh, you know, and I think about a sycamore tree in America, I think of this massive tree that is that, you know, a big shade tree, whatever. But I, that's not what it is, is it, Father? There's a, there's a type of sycamore that uh, is familiar to the people of Jericho out there in the desert in, in these uh, place of oasis. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because this is, this is something that always stumped me too. When living here in California, growing up in California, you and I, you know, playing down the river bottoms and stuff, and we would see these. It's one of the biggest trees in America, the sycamore. It's this massive tree. Trunks, you know, could be six, seven, I don't know, even wider uh, in, in width. Huge trees. And uh, so he climbed a sycamore. Who would ever climb a sycamore tree? You'd kill yourself. So, but this is not an American sycamore. This is the sycamore fig. It's a, a, it's a medium-sized tree in, in the Middle East, and it's a type of fig. And, it's the, and it might be intended. I don't know if this is what Luke's wanting us to think of, but bringing up that point you made about the poverty issue, the sycamore fig tree is the, it's the fig tree of the poor in a certain sense. The wood is very soft. Fig wood is not something you normally build in. So this is something that you use. This is the most inexpensive lumber in the Old Testament to build something out of sycamore fig uh, wood, as opposed to using cedar or oak or something. Very soft wood, almost like what, uh, kind of like white pine for an American construction. And then and then it's also the figs on a sycamore fig tree are not something you're going to sell in the marketplace unless you're very poor and really, really need some cash because there are these little tiny figs about the size of a marble 
that grow off the trunk and off the branches as opposed to off the tips of the leaves. And they're barely edible. You can eat them. They're not going to hurt you, but they're, they're, you, you get a hint of a fig taste when you eat them, but they're kind of hard, not much flavor to them. Amos, Amos the prophet, was a shepherd, and when he was not shepherding, he'd climb up sycamore. He says, I'm a, I'm a harvester of sycamore figs. He would climb up and then pick those things and probably feed himself and sell a few or something to make some cash. So there, um, is, there is this image, interesting image, that you brought up about poverty. I wonder, I don't know if Luke was intending that here, but that's that sycamore fig. You know, um, we've been there together, by the way, for our participants. The sycamore tree that, that Zacchaeus climbed is still there in Jericho. It's funny, I remember the first time I went to Jericho and the tour bus pulled into the town. And they drove up to this big, beautiful, green sycamore tree. They said, well, this is a sycamore tree. It's not the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed, of course, that's gone and dead 2,000 years ago. But here, take a picture, you know, everybody's in the bus, and like, you know, take pictures and stuff. And, um, and uh, thank God we're staying in a hotel there in Jericho, and I was able to go out into the town, and I found the monastery there in the town, and lo and behold, the original sycamore is still there. Uh, it is dead. It's just a stump. And uh, why do you know it's the original sycamore? Well, first of all, Christians aren't liars. That's number one. But number two, you don't build monasteries around dead stumps unless there's something very important about that dead stump. So it, it is still there. And we've gone, we've taken now so many pilgrims to see that place where, in that monastery, um, where Zacchaeus climbed up that tree. And, you know, Father, in some sense, the message today that the church is presenting to us is simple, and it's similar to what we've been focusing upon in the Feast of the Nativity. I mean, in fact, there are two, in some sense, parallel episodes in the life of Christ. Jesus is coming. We've been talking about that all through St. Philip's fast. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now he is coming, in a sense, in a new way. And just as he's coming into Jericho on his way to his passion, on the way to Pascha, so he's, he's coming into our life. And we are given by the church this image of Zacchaeus, who willingly humbles himself. Um, and the fathers of the church just absolutely love this image. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought up this point of explained to, to us the, the sycamore um, what it's like, the sycamore fig. Because the fathers of the church see in this image of Zacchaeus hanging from the branches of the, of the sycamore fig, they see this, almost Zacchaeus is a fruit of the tree. Um, a fruit of, in a sense, in poverty, um, um, starving, if you will, for, for, to be able to just see the Lord. Um, and then they place this image of Zacchaeus, the fruit of the sycamore of the uh, tree, uh, in light of the Garden of Eden and Jesus, who is about to hang upon the cross for us as the new tree of life. And they say there's a beautiful, um, a beautiful interpretation of this by one of the fathers that said it was from the sycamore t- tree that, that Zacchaeus looked out and he beheld the tree of life. He beheld Christ. From the tree of poverty, 
the tree of true riches, Zacchaeus comes down and now Jesus goes to his home, the one who uh, has prepared the home of his heart for the coming of the Savior. There's so much here to kind of mine, and I want to encourage our participants to take time now this in the coming days in preparation for Sunday to consider this image of this icon of Zacchaeus in the tree as an icon or a mirror for our own life, as an invitation to what is about to take place. And then to ask the question, are we willing? Are we willing to humble ourselves in the midst of our society to, in a sense, to climb up the sycamore tree and then to be called down by Christ, um, to be invited to share our home with him? And, and then, of course, to behold the three-day um, passion and resurrection of Christ to gain this new life, which Zacchaeus has been granted. This whole conversion that takes place of Zacchaeus's riches and the richness he finds in Christ, and then the willingness for himself to find his wealth and his richness in the giving away of the gift that he has. There's so much here to consider. So I encourage our participants, read this passage, Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. Make it an opportunity for meditation in the coming days so that we can open ourselves more fully as we begin this remote pilgrimage toward the time of great Lent. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.